How's it going, everybody? This is the Green and Black podcast from the Kaleo Sports Desk. I am Tanner Hayworth, the senior sports writer at Kaleo. I am joined by my sports editor, Reese Nagoka, and we are joined today by a very special guest, and he can go ahead and introduce himself right here. My name is Eric Matthews. I'm a Capricorn. I like long walks on the beach, which grows great here in Hawaii, and I'm a big fan of the soulful tones of Wu-Tang Clan and 3-6 Mafia. That's amazing. This, that's more information than I thought I was going to get today. Like, I was like, wow, this is... This is like first day of classes, man. I mean, it's just like... You it's can, a good icebreaker. Yeah. yeah. I brought a syllabus, too. Personally, I'm a Libra. Oh, okay. Well, then you and I get along greatly then. Yeah. yeah. You know, honestly, this is all starting to make sense now that I think about it. Me, too. What about you, Reese? I'm a Virgo. I, I'm mm. not... Yeah. Of course. Uh, no. Virgo, mm. you're the dragon... No, Virgos are the monster, but I'm the year of the dragon. Okay, okay, that's why I was about to say. I thought I was, you told me that before that you were year of the dragon in the Chinese calendar. I might have said that, but I, I was. We were talking about this yesterday at football practice, like how how old I am. I was born in 2000, pretty much. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am year of the rabbit to make any context. <laughs> <laughs> well, now after that amazing beginning, I think that's a great way to kick off because. You know, especially for if you're a big fan of Rainbow Warrior football, I think we all understand how we feel about what happened on Saturday. If you did not know what happened on Saturday somehow, uh, Vanderbilt came in and tried to prove to everyone that they are not Vanderbilt. They came in and after a really, really great scoring drive on the opening drive by the Rainbow Warriors, capped off by a 30-plus yard touchdown by Dedrick Parson. 37. 37. Yeah, 30-plus. That's why I went vague, because I couldn't remember. <laughs> couldn't remember. <laughs> but then, after a couple three and outs, then Vanderbilt started warming up and eventually ended a in a, what, 63-10 to 10, uh, loss for the Rainbow Warriors. I did learn my lesson uh, to put the big score first. Thank you, Eric. You're very welcome. Uh, for that criticism. I think I just kept copy-pasting in my Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I will... Look, like the Brotherhood, we are... Sorry, Brotherhood. I just did the St. Louis show for ESPN Honolulu, so Brotherhood is on my mind, I so unfortunately. It. I get it. But like the Brotherhood, you know, still improving. It's We are not a finished product. And... There's a lot to really look at this game and to learn. So, I mean, Eric, first of all, like, what was your just initial reaction to when everything just kind of started getting ugly in the third quarter? Well, as I go into that, I'll clarify. I'm a part of the media relations department right. here at University of Hawaii. I've been with the team and the program for the last four seasons. So I am a part of our group that is behind the scenes, working with the media, working with you guys. Does an amazing job. Amazing, yeah. Thank amazing you. Job. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, National Award winners. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Can't forget to put that out. Yeah. <laughs> Got to put it That's out the there. That's the most important part. <laughs> Got to put it out there. Uh, but my assessment is I'm not worried. I know the score and the feeling is uh-oh, but it's not uh-oh. It's a work in progress. And let's face facts. Vanderbilt plays every year against some of the top teams in the country. Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, all these schools are a part of their schedule year in and year out. So when they come in and they were ranked the 32nd highest recruiting class this past year, there's talent on that team. 
And I know Vanderbilt has a reputation, especially last year losing to East Tennessee State, an FCS school, but that was also the first game under that head coach, and this is his second season. They've established their system. They've done a lot of things. Vanderbilt, not saying they're going to win a bowl game, not saying Vanderbilt's good, but Vanderbilt is not what you think they are. So I believe last week was not a true indication of what Hawaii football is right now. So I am not panicking. Those that are, I think, are unrealistic about how football works and how tough a game it is to play and to coach and to strategize for. And when you look at what was going on, there were things that, that I could see people getting concerned about, mostly the the running game, the defense against that. But the play call was there. I think a lot of guys were very hyped up. They were ready to go. They want to do something. And when you kind of get in that position, if you're not used to it, which we know a lot of these guys on this team are not, so many new faces, new starters, haven't seen playing time and haven't played in front of a – large loud crowd i think that plays a role in this too so when you look at it the scheme for both offense and defense were there execution not but it's the very first game under a new coaching staff what'd you expect if you expect it to be 63 to 10 other way then i'm glad you still play in somebody football 14 <laughs> good for you on rookie mode on rookie mode but that's not realistic and that's why I'm excited about this week. And when I look at what we saw last week, I'm excited about the offensive line. I'm excited about the running game. I'm excited to see what the quarterback position does. I think there's depth on the wide receiver part, unproven, but deep talent wise. And defensively, the scheme is there. I'm interested to see how the linebackers bounce back after a tough week. And I'm excited about what we have on the defensive backside because you have a lot of guys there that are talented. Hugh Nelson, Verdell Edwards, JoJo Forrest. I love those guys. I'm excited to see what they do this week against a pass-heavy team. And kind of looking at that game from last week, if there was one thing that was probably most under the microscope was quarterback play because probably for what seems like months now, no one's no one knew who the starting quarterback was going to be until Pete Thamel so rudely leaked it <laughs> before we were we were supposed we were, was, were supposed to go he, out. He ruined Stephen and Stephen's moment right there. Stephen and John because we were also uh, I mean and working at ESPN Honolulu we had this whole plan. John Veneri was going to come down to uh, the pregame and announce who the starting quarterback was, and then some national guy reports a game that not a lot of people were probably going to watch initially and says, Braden Shager's starting quarterback, to which probably a lot of people following that account said, who? Yeah. But, you know, Hawaii fans, we know who we're talking about. But so that position was definitely under the microscope. And then by halftime, we see Joey Yelling come in, and he gets about a quarter. He starts out really well, then goes 0 for 9 in his last couple of passes. Then Braden gets thrown back in there. When you kind of assess the performance of the two quarterbacks are there really any the are like what is the biggest pros that come out of kind of uh okay to not super great performance uh from both quarterbacks i believe shaker's decision making is good i because he didn't make anything that was an obvious error maybe he didn't read the defense very well or maybe you know he didn't 
call an audible when he should have. We don't know that. But it seemed like his decision-making was there. His vision of the field was there. He had option one, option two. If it wasn't there, he would look and try to scan. But when they bring blitz package, it didn't go well for him. Joey Yellen, quick release. When he gets that ball, boom, it's out. And that makes you excited because it kind of gives you flashes of, okay, the true run and shoot. Snap, boom, out. And move the ball to the field. Let's be quick. Neither of them, their strong points was a strong point of the other one, I felt like. Shager, I believe, is one of those guys that over time he's going to show. Joey Yellen, we saw what Joey Yellen is. And not good, not bad, just we saw what he is. In terms of the negative, it's hard to evaluate when it comes to that because they were limited on series. And when Shager was in there, blitz package was big for Vanderbilt. They put pressure on him. They made a young quarterback try and make quick decisions. And it just it didn't go well for him. Yelling, he did make some decisions. You're kind of going, hmm, wonder what that was about. And so you kind of wonder how that's going to go if he does get more playing time. So I don't know how things are going to go when it comes to who's going to be the starter. And I have a feeling, but I don't know that for sure. And – but like I said earlier, I'm I'm excited to see how it goes because it could be really, really good for either one of them. But it did come out that Cam Cooper is being considered this week. So we'll see. I think that does more have to do with – because he, he's probably the best dual-threat guy, maybe along with Armani Eden, outside of the, in the quarterback room. And that's something I think that this offense kind of needed um, – on Saturday, I mean, there especially were, that fourth and one. That fourth and yeah. one, they needed. They needed to put. They had. They. It sounded like they were gonna have sub packages for Cam and Cooper on I, Saturday. I mean, from what it sounded like on last night's call, the coach where Timmy Chang was, you know, available to talk about that. He said straight up, he thought Jordan. Uh, Jordan. He thought that uh, Joey should have pulled that and ran for that one yard because, especially, it. I even. I don't even think it's an athlete kind of deal. I don't care about that if it's one yard. He's a big mf'er. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once you get about halfway to that, you could probably just dive forward and get that first down. And I think that was one of those decisions like you were talking about. You're like, hmm, what was that decision like? I think that's one of the things where people are like, well, he has that really nice throwing. He has that really nice quick release. It's like, but like you want to have that chance of you at that, you're one yard away from that first down. And I can't remember the score. At that point, but I do know it was in that really rough third quarter because that would probably help out your defense. A lot of people were criticizing said defense for being so tired. I mean, not so tired, but just missing so many tackles and making some interesting decisions that, you know, did not benefit the defense. How much of that do you think is just a matter of just not getting a lot of help on offense? It always plays a role. I don't know what the time possession was. I know Reese is looking at the book right now on what time possession was. But off of that point is I heard the criticism, too, about the tackling. Right. You guys don't remember this. Maybe you do. Maybe you've seen some stuff. But tackling at the beginning of a season was always a bugaboo for the June Jones teams because, and you guys have seen this going to practice, is tackling is not a big thing. It's an NFL-style practice about how they go about things. So, usually in the June Jones era, no matter how talented they were on defense, tackling was not their forte at the very beginning. And over time, it got better. 
the discussion has been over the last week has been we're going to see that improvement on that over the next few weeks. And when you went to practice this week, you probably saw the linebackers work at the donut drill where they have the rolling foam donut and they're doing tackling, they're doing different things. So that's not uncommon, especially for college teams that adapt to an NFL system. That does happen quite a bit where tackling is an issue at the very beginning of the season. And in some aspects, tackling could be pointed at as it was an issue. But to your question, though, yes, I think the amount of time the offense was three and out, it takes a toll on the defense. And when Vanderbilt goes out there and has a three-play drive and goes 75 yards, doesn't help anything. But I think that that third quarter, honestly, that third quarter is, not in, is, is a bad indication of anything. That third quarter, I think, in our mind, should not have happened. We should just forget that third quarter. Look what at the third th- quarter? I mean, what are we talking about again? Huh? What's happening? What? I don't know. I, Reese, where are we? I don't know. It doesn't even show up on the bo- in the book. No, but um, that's no. crazy. Huh? Yeah, Imagine you, that. So you talk about time of possession. So Vanderbilt was actually slightly ahead. It was about thirty-one minutes mm-hmm. to to poise twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you talked about that fourth down where Joey Joey Ellen probably should have pulled it. I mean, that was first drive of the second half for them. They were already down twenty-eight to ten, and it it kind of. Going back on that, though, I mean, it felt like times that Joey Yellen had his um, – he was very committed to the pocket, it almost felt like, because there were a couple points where he had a sack – he got sacked inside the pocket. Um, you know, I don't know whether you want to contribute that to, you know, just the, the offensive lineman getting beat. But there were – and then, you know, Braden Shaker got sacked too, but his was – I think he was rolling out to the right trying to get out of the pocket. Mm-hmm. And he just got tripped up. So I don't that's – a, that's another point, I think. And, I mean, contextual, when you look at a 63-10 to 10 game – and if you think of, like, Hoy's pass, you probably think, oh, man, that offensive line must have been brutal. The quarterback must have had not – must have, like, been sacked, what, eight times? But like you said, you, they only had three sacks. I believe the only one that looked really bad was that Joey Yellen sack where I believe Hop, it was Hop. just got pushed into Yellen at the same time that he took a step up. Um when you look at this offensive line, obviously they are the leaders coming back for this team. You obviously have El Manning, Micah Vanderpool, Leaky Tanuvasa, just to like, just to name all three of the ones that everyone should know. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's kind of like the biggest pro I feel, that came out of this game. Would you agree? I one hundred percent is the offensive line. That, that's why when we were talking about earlier, that's the number one thing I'm excited about is the offensive line. Is you got to remember for Austin Hop, this was his first start. I mean, Stefan's a former walk-on, but there was, in terms of interior line, that was no, some of the best play. Yes, yeah. it was the best play, and so I'm excited about that. The sacks, yelling, decision making, they get the ball out quick, reading the reading the offense, blitz comes, boom, done. Right. Shager tries to roll out. It was it was a zone sack where they they had everything covered. They were able to bring it pressure on from the outside on the defensive end and they got to him after he'd been in the pocket for five six seconds so those even though you don't want those to happen those are good signs of the offensive line doing their job right which is why i'm excited about that and not to mention i know Diedrich parson had the two fumbles which that it is what it is but when he was running the ball he had holes i mean that very first drive you could tell like right there when he had the first fumble when he attacked the hole it, you could drive a buzz through it so I'm excited about that element of it. And I will say, for those Diedrich Parson fumbles, I feel like the best way to liken it is not just catching lightning in a bottle, but it's like catching 
lightning in a bottle and then getting struck by lightning yourself right afterwards. True. Because both balls were perfectly bounced straight into a Vanderbilt defender yeah. who had a full lane. And I believe, I think the second one was in the middle of him switching hands, the defender came from the back with a hard hit. And that one just like popped straight up in the air and just straight into a guy's hand on like what the eight yard line or something. So I, because obviously from last year, you wouldn't really label Diedrich Parson as a fumbler, a guy who has to worry about uh, fumbling the ball. I believe like the only time he really had an issue that was last year's season opener against UCLA when he got absolutely lit up by a UCLA defender. So there's a lot to work on, obviously. That's the greatest thing about a week zero game is that now you got film on yourself. Now you know, okay, we're not doing this very well. This is what we got to work on. And now what's also extremely lucky is our next opponent, Western Kentucky, is also a week, also had a week zero game against, sure, an FCS team in Austin P. but they look like they were kind of struggling a little bit. I want to say, like, struggling. Obviously, they won by 11. But they had a nice 38-27 to 27 win. And, of course, this is another big reason why we brought Eric on. Uh, as most, <laughs> the reason why I'm the reason on. Why. The reason. Because, I mean, just let the audience know. I am from Kentucky, and I graduated from Western Kentucky University back in 2011. And I have not missed a game. Like, I've not missed a game for why in 15 years. So, I mean, this is just the absolute perfect opportunity. And also not to mention... Western Kentucky's coach is a former grad assistant and special teams coordinator from the University of Hawaii during not only during June Jones's time, during the time when Timmy Chang was the quarterback. Yep. I believe he had an interview with somebody on ESPN Honolulu. I can't remember. All the days kind of muddled together. But it's a lot of instances of this is the first time we see the Hilltoppers ever in program history. Well, I think you, when you talk about it, I, so he, Tyson Helton had media availability. Stephen Sai was, I think, the only Hawaii representative to go up, to show up to, to w- surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he had Stevens a, everywhere and anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, but he had a story. So like Tyson, Tyson Helton's quotes were like, you know, he, he very much likes Famusubi and, you know, he's, I think his oldest daughter has a middle name, has a middle name based from here. So he very much loves the island and, um. You know, I think actually we should talk about we should get Eric to talk more because I think you've been telling us this or telling us this for months that you've had this circled on your calendar for a long time. I mean, it's a very very long story about about that, which I won't go into the detail of that. But yes, this game was announced in June of 2013. It's been circled on my calendar ever since. I know exactly where I was. I know exactly where I was doing when I saw it pop up, and I have. Back then, I was working for ESPN Radio, and I told myself, I am going to be at that game. I don't know how, but I'm going to figure it out. And, well, here we are. So I'm pretty stoked about that. There's a lot more to that story, but I won't go into detail about that. But I actually give you guys a little bit of um, a little bit of history. This game was supposed to be played back in 2010. So it was originally scheduled for 2010 and got – like a lot of non-conference games do, they get shifted around for whatever reason, money, travel, whatever. But it was supposed to take place back in 2010. It got moved to 2013, then it got moved to 2018, and then it got moved to 2022. So this game has been on the books for the last 12 years, and it's finally happening. And 
it is the first time these two teams had ever met. So for me to be here for that is a very, very big deal. It, more ways than one outside of professionally. I think they're just waiting for you at that point. <laughs> I, to me, that's how it feels. Yeah. And because, I mean, to me, this is, and this is going to sound stupid, I know, but in a lot of ways for me professionally, it's my version of my own Super Bowl. I know it sounds weird to say for Hawaii, Western Kentucky, like who really, I mean, it's just a game. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> not for me at least. Um, but I've had this game circled for a very long time. When this game was actually solidified for 2022, there are no staff members, and I can only think of one administrator that's still the same for when this game was announced nine years ago. Because WKU, I can't remember if the AD was – was Wood Sea League or Ross Bjork? It might have been Ross Bjork in his one year. I can't. I can't remember that. Specific. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but the head coach then was Willie Taggart, right? Who is now who left and went to Oregon, then went to Florida State, and is now at Florida A uh, and U or Florida Atlantic, excuse me. And I love Willie Taggart. I love that man with every fiber of my being. I love my Willie, and. I know. I say that for a reason. But and at the time for Hawaii, the head coach was Norm Chow. The AD was, I believe, Jim Donovan. And I don't believe anybody from the administration for Hawaii is still the same from that from then. I know for 2013, the only one that's still the same is at the time, the associate athletic director, Todd Stewart, is now the athletic director at WKU, and he was overseeing communications. And so I think he's the only one. That was a high-ranking sports admin, and none of the coaching staff, even though I feel like Abe has been here since 2013. <laughs> I don't think he has. He might have. He might actually be left over from the 2013. I think, I, he, no, he, he's, I think he joined in the final year of Norm Chow, so it was 15? Okay, so he wasn't. So the only one that's remaining is Todd Stewart from WKU in terms of high-ranking Derek, my boss, is still here, and he right. was here then, and, and Neil. I mean, you have those and me relations are still the same in some aspects of it. But, yeah, like there's nothing is really the same since 2013 when this game was finally announced. Yeah, I mean, and then when you actually look at this Western Kentucky team, this was a team that went 9-5 and five last year. They mm -hmm. won the, the East Division of the Conference USA, and, you know, I think the, the storyline was they had one of the best offenses in FBS. They were – Number two in the nation. Number two in points per game and total offense. I mean, mm -hmm. Bailey Zappi set NCAA single-season passing records and, you know, passing yards and touchdowns, 62. I think he – Joe Burrow beat that in, like, 2019, and then he just broke it right there. And yeah, because Joe Burrow broke Colt Brand's record, right. and then Bailey Zappi broke Joe Burrow's record. And then – but there's there are a lot of, you know, new new pieces. You know, Bailey Zappi isn't on – isn't – or he's on the Patriots roster now. Patriots yep. legend now. And, um, you know, you got Jared Stearns, too – um, their leading receiver from a year ago, Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinators at Texas Tech. So you have three off three co-offensive coordinators on staff. Is that yep. So I mean, there are a lot of different things, a lot of moving parts, I guess. I mean, if you thought the Miami Dolphins last year with their two co-offensive coordinators was a little confusing, three. I mean, what? That's a run game, a pass game, and a uh, what would the third guy be? Well, you got. Let's see. It's you have a. You're one of co-offensive coordinators, your quarterback's coach. Yeah. Right. Um, the other is your wide receiver's coach. Right. And the other is your offensive line coach. 
So that's so a pretty good trio. What it boils down to is when you when you see that it's basically just job title. It doesn't mean play caller. Right. Right. Is there's going to be one solidified play caller? It's it's Helton. Yeah. It's Tyson Helton. So that being the case, all those guys that are labeled co-offensive coordinators, it's by job title and assignment, not necessarily play calling in the traditional sense. So that clears that up. It's going to all run through Helton. Right. And what's what's interesting to see is the change in offense. The philosophy has not changed. They want to throw it a lot. But what's, what's different is where they're positioning guys to try and move the ball down the field. Last year, it was about deep routes and drags. So over the top and escape routes. This year, it's about finding holes in the defense, which is actually very similar to Nick Rolovich's run-and-shoot offense that really won the run-shoot traditionally, where they would use you know dink-and-dump passes to try and find holes in the coverage, and then when they would collapse on the coverage, they would go over the top, which is what Cole McDonald made his career out of here and why he ended up getting drafted in the NFL. So that's what this team is trying to do at WKU. They're trying to find the holes, then they're trying to go over the top rather than move fast, have drags, have out routes, and go over the top. And I think one thing about this Western Kentucky offense is for much of the year is expected that the West Virginia transfer, the name is escaping me. Justin Doge. 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 Is it Jared? Jared Doge or Justin Doge? Did I say Justin? I meant Jared. Jared. Well, in the end, in the end, he doesn't win the starting job. He transfers to Troy, and Division Two transfer Austin Reed comes up. And, you know, I when I heard that he had won the starting job immediately, I'm like, okay, I need to find some film on this guy because I have no idea who he is. And I think I watched – I think it was like the 2018 Division Two like, championship. And this guy can ball. He can sling it. So when you look at this Western Kentucky offense, originally supposed to be led by this veteran, one of the more veteran quarterbacks, and now you replace him with a really great Division II quarterback. I mean, what's what's the ceiling of this Western Kentucky offense? Are they going to be reaching that you know that number two offense from last year, or are they just going to kind of stay in that range of really good? Here's the best way I can I can put this out there. I'm going to try my best to connect some dots for you. Bailey Zappi came to WKU as a grad transfer from Houston Baptist. Same as the offensive coordinator, same as Stearns. All of them came together. So they knew the system at the back of their hand. All they had to do was implement it for the offensive line to understand it in a running game. So the reason why I bring up Bailey Zappi is because the jump from FCS to FBS is significant. But when you are a quote-unquote system quarterback, that gap starts to narrow. And he exploited that last year. And that's why in Conference USA, they did really, really well. And I'm comparing that to Austin Reed that comes from West Florida. Before I came to Hawaii, I worked at Division Two. I was a director at Kentucky State. Now, they were part of the Southern Interscholastic Athletic Conference, SIAC. The SIAC had Miles College and Tuskegee in their conference, which were two of the top teams in Division II, usually ranked in the top 20, one if not both of them. West Florida was also a tough team, and that was before Austin Reed, but West Florida had a reputation. 
The reason why I bring this up is because the talent level and the speed on that jump from Division Two to Division One is significant. It is huge. So while Austin Reed has good arm strength, I go back to the conversation we were having earlier about decision-making. Is If when the game speeds up, what is his decision-making like? Against Austin P and FCS team, he didn't really do anything that was absolutely dazzling. There were times you're kind of sitting there going, why did he throw that? And not to be critical of him, but you kind of sit there and go, okay, it's first game, system, everything else. But that has to take your mind into this week's game. Is I would like to believe that Hawaii is a much better team than Austin P. Maybe Polish could be brought up because it's a new defensive system and new guys and whatnot, even though the guys that are still here were under Coach Yoro, who was the co-defensive coordinator last year under Graham. But you have to imagine that Hawaii defensively is going to be faster and more persistent than what Austin P was. So you take all that into it, and then you throw in that WKU has three new offensive linemen, all three are sophomores. What is the plan going to be for Hawaii in terms of trying to put pressure on the quarterback now? So the jump from Division Two to Division One, plus a new offensive system, plus a young offensive line, plus the speed of a Hawaii defense that does have some familiarity with the system, I believe, plays in the role of Hawaii having an advantage here. Now, I could be wrong because, as you said, and we have talked about, Austin Reed is a baller. The Duke can go. But the other elements play a role in can the other ones step up because this wide receiving core is a lot like Hawaii's wide receiving core. There's talent there, but it's unproven talent. They haven't had a whole lot of time out there on the field in game situations yet. So I'm sitting here thinking WKU's dangerous because of what they've done the last nine years and Tyson Helton is a very good coach. But you factor all those things into it, how's it going to fold? I, I, I think it's in Hawaii's favor, but we'll have to wait and see. And then we're talking about Western Kentucky's offense. Their defense looked, you know, they were playing an FCS team. They had some flashes. They had the pick six, which was just a – an amazing play to go back and watch, mm-hmm. uh, with which was a wild miscommunication between a quarterback and a receiver, which then followed by probably one of the wackiest chase downs by a quarterback <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. Go ahead and look that up whenever you can. But how does Hawaii's offense kind of bounce back from, I won't say a lackluster performance, because obviously the running game did very well. How, what, when you look at Hawaii, what is that one thing that they can point at at Western Kentucky say, hey, we can use that, let's go and attack that? The biggest thing is defensive backs. Is Their defensive backfield traditionally hasn't been all that strong. Traditionally. And I feel the same way about this year from what I saw in Austin P and what I saw layover from last year. Because you look at the outside of – the bowl game in the first game of this season, the Conference USA championship game against uh, UTSA, the defensive backfield for WKU got exploited like no other. And it also got exploited because they were trying to fall back. UTSA used the running game to their advantage. So going off what we saw from this past week for Hawaii is 
they want to try and keep the offense off the field for WKU for obvious reasons. They're dangerous. So I believe you'll see some more running attack. We talked about the offensive line, talked about Dedrick Parson. We saw Tylen Hines get some carries last week and what he's capable of. I think you're going to see that. But I believe we're also going to see them try to take some more deep threats and try to see what they can get going to open up that running game in the early going. Like I said, on paper, it doesn't look like the defensive backs are a strong point of the WKU defense. Their defensive line, on the other hand, is. They have experience, they have big bodies, and they have speed. And they showed it against Austin P in, in flashes. So that's where I'm kind of curious to see how this goes. Because if our offensive line, which is a veteran crew, is able to hold up against a veteran crew in WKU, even though they lost Malone to the NFL draft from last year, who was the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year two years in a row, you take that out of the system, and he's basically getting replaced by Juwan Jones, who is our version of Panay Bavihi, where he's been there for six years, he's been through the system, he is an aggressive guy, but at the same time, is he going to be able to make the play? We know Pavihi can. Jones, every once in a while you see it, but it's not consistent like Malone was the last two years. So that's where I think things are going to get interesting is in the trenches. Can Hawaii establish a run game to get them to focus on it and then go over the top, or are they going to try to go over the top and then establish a run game? Uh, we'll wait and see. If you're talking about the run game, though, I, there's, there's something uh, from Saturday that I do want to see change. From I, I want to see Tyler Hines get more carries. I want to see Eddie running back in. Yeah, carries. I mean, Deidre, <laughs> I think the first carry, I think, when I looked at the stat book earlier, the first carry that someone not named Dedrick Parson had was like like a minute left in the third quarter. Like, I've, I feel like when you have a running back room as good as Hawaii does, I mean, we, we've seen Tylen Hines, what he can do in camp. Like how how good he was. Not only was he fast, he was physical. He fought through contact, and he I think his only thing was like a reception for a loss of five yards. But up until that third quarter, it was like, I mean, I, I would have liked to see more out of that out of that more different running backs. I guess more depth, more depth. Yeah, I mean, because it was really only used by the time we got to the third or fourth yeah. quarter. We saw Jordan Johnson. He had a he had a pretty good physical run, yeah, and I mean, Najee Bryant Lilly also had a pretty good run here and there. So, I mean, it's a running back room that I personally, if I, I agree I agree with you as I use my mic to point at you and then no one can hear me, <laughs> I do agree that I would love to see this running back room be used a lot more. I mean, when you look at last week's game to this week's game, is there like anyone, any one specific player or any position group that you're looking to see, you know, improve the most from game zero to game one? Receiving core. I, I, I love Jalen Walhall. I think that that kid is going to be special. And I I hope I am right because I just I see it in camp a lot. And last week was the first time we actually saw him. He may got there a little bit last year as a, as a true freshman. I don't remember it all that often. But I'm excited about him. And I think we're going to see more of him. We saw him on the kick return in Chucky Hines, and unfortunately between him and Jalen Purdue and a communication Well, issue, it happened in the third quarter, so yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Never happened. I, I mean, I, speed is Chucky Hines. 
that is what that guy is. That dude is just speed after speed after speed. While Jalen is his vertical and his ability to go up and get the ball is unmatched. Then we saw what Jonah Pinoke did. Is Jonah is so good at finding the seam, finding the gap, finding the seam, using a referee as a pick. He is very good at those things. And I like watching him play, and you're just constantly waiting for him to have that big game. And now that he's kind of had it, he had over 100 yards receiving, how is he going to respond? And so this receiving group is what really interests me. But there is one thing. I'm going to throw a question to you guys now. Is Jordan Murray. That's the guy that when that we is. we walk out of every day at camp, that's the one you're like, huh. That dude's going to be playing on Sundays. Yes. He looks the part, and in practice he plays the part. But we didn't see a whole lot of him in that game against Vanderbilt. Why? I don't know. Um, he had that I, one drop in the end. So, well, I'll call it a drop. It, a it, drop. Was, a, it, was, a it was a good pass, pass defended, yeah. good yes. pass breakup. Because a, a lot of people have been calling that a drop. And I ever so rudely want to be like pass breakup. No, yeah. it was when you watched it live. It was like he had good leverage on. That was a great breakup by the defender. I, was, also, I thought it was a good pass too on the fade. Yeah, yeah. I'll also say like I was also very surprised at like his run blocking, because mm-hmm. I don't know when you think about Jordan Murray. We we're all talking about how great of a receiving threat he is. He held his own up on a couple of blocks here and there. So I mean, he's using you know he is a tight end. You got to be good at run blocking. Okay, but well, well, that he also doubles a semi truck. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he's a very large guy. Well, that's, that's the thing though is that he he was a wide receiver at Missouri State, so this is this is tight end is very new to him. So mm-hmm. like, he, I think he he was talking. I was talking to him, and you know, I he, this is the first time I think he's been playing tight end for a while. I mean, dating back to high school and everything, he was a receiver. So it's like, this is very new. He handled it very well, I mm-hmm. thought, and so, you know, he's he's the sky's the limit, I think, for him. And. So I mentioned those guys. Jordan Murray is, I think, he is the one where he has the highest ceiling right now. I mean, you can make the case for Jalen. You made the case for Chucky, but they got a couple years left. Right. Jordan doesn't. So, like. This is, this is it for him. This is it. Now, I do believe he has a chance to play on Sundays. You, you kind of joked about it a second ago, and I agree with you on that, is he has the physique, and he has what seems to be the talent to do that. Now, whether or not he'll pan out that way, we'll see. But he's the guy that I think this offense is going to have to lean on for stability. Because James Phillips and and uh, Dior Scott are basically JoJo Ward and Cedric Bird, size-wise. Right. Now, both of them produce numbers. Neither James or Dior has had a chance to prove numbers yet. But in terms of the scheme of a system, that's the role they play. Fast, quick, drags, over the top, curls, cutbacks, you know, fast slants. That's what that's the name of their game. They're not going to be out physical you. They're going to try, but they're just not going to be able to because of their size. But their speed is adequate. And so you have those, plus you have Jonah and Zion, and then you have Jordan, and then you have the speed of Chuki, and you have the big playability of Jalen. The potential in that wide receiver room is there, and we did not get a chance to see that much against Vanderbilt because of the game got out of hand. Um, but that's what I'm the most excited about, what I want to see the most improvement on is that group in itself. Because the running back group, we saw what I thought we were going to see. is Now, we saw more depth than I was expecting, but 
because I, I did not expect Mojo, Najee Bryant, right. to go out there and play much, but the way the game was, he did. And the same thing for Johnson. I wasn't expecting to see him much, but I was excited to see him because he had a good physical run. Tylen, sky's limit on what he can do. And we see it in camp and his ability to find the hole and then his ability to accelerate. So I, I, the running back group I'm not concerned about. I'm not concerned about the wide receiver core either. I'm just excited about the wide receiving core. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at, well, we talk about the, I'm looking at the statue right now. So Jordan Murray, he did only have one reception for 12 yards, but he had the, now. It was a new, very physical one reception. Yeah, yeah, too. but no, but then, so the, the new thing about it, the, well, we've been talking about the stats. Um, that's a new feature, I think, this, this season for football is the <laughs> stats system. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, but targets. Talking about terror nightmares on that one. Jeez. <laughs> All right, Reese. Oh my God. No, 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 but. But the, one of the new things in the stat system is now you get targets. So, yes. you know, Jordan Murray had six targets on, mm-hmm. on Saturday. So, he's, he's very obviously like one of those um, receiving receivers that they want to get involved, obviously. And then, you know, there are other – you had the tight ends on the depth chart. It was like either him or Caleb Phillips because Caleb Phillips has had a really good camp. But, you know, I think Jordan Murray's got that guy who can – he doesn't have to necessarily line up in your tight end spot. He can go slot. You can go everywhere. You, yeah, you can go everywhere. Put him at quarterback. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why Timmy hasn't said anything about quarterback this week. Maybe. Maybe it's Jordan. He may be on something. I think so, you know, because I've been to zero practices. <laughs> 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 well, I think we got a, a very great amount of information. I mean, whether it be from Hawaii, whether it be about Western Kentucky. So, first of all, I just want to say thank you yes. so much, thank you very Eric. Much. You... Also, I also just really want to mention you do an amazing job at Ahoy Athletics, and I'm not sure what any of us, how any of us would be able to do our jobs, you know, without you and the amazing team down there. You know, national award winners, we do always have to mention. And as we close out today's podcast, I'm just going to ask you, you know, just a quick question. You know, looking back, it could be the Vanderbilt game. It could be how it feels this week. If you had a song to bring up, in your mind to describe this week for you, what would it be? And I'll give you some time to think about it. Personally, the song that I have stuck that I have right now in my head is Chicago's "Feeling Stronger Every Day." Oh, that's one way to go with it. Because we know where we are, and with every day that comes, like the song says, uh, like that very long part in the. Uh, oh no, I'm thinking of a totally different song from Chicago. But yeah, feeling stronger every day because. That's what we're going to have to be doing if we want to, you know, surprise a lot of people. Because there's a lot of people that either say, oh, it's going to be hard for us to get one win. I'm still on that six to seven track. I think there's possibilities because I am an optimistic 22-year-old that hasn't had my heart broken yet. <laughs> and maybe I, hope, this, I hope that day's a long way away. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping too. But, yeah, I, for me personally, I'm going to go with Chicago's feeling stronger every day. I I, I got to think. I, I kind of thought about this. This was kind of looking at my phone a little bit. I mean, the one song that's kind of been stuck in my head is for most of the summer was from Top Gun Maverick. You know, One Republic's I Ain't Worried. I mean, great song, first off. I get you on that one. Okay. Yeah. I like I mean, that. It's just, it, there's, it wasn't a great sign from Saturday, but it's not like it's like the end of the world. Like, this was the first game. Just, there was, what, 50 something newcomers on this team. I mean, there, there's a lot that they need to get done, and I think, you know, they they acknowledge that they do have to. I mean, there's going to be adjustments, obviously, 
and you know the bar the bar let's be honest the bar is really low <laughs> i think they can definitely take a boost boost it up this week and i will say just this is a very different feeling than from last year's season openers blowout because i would feel like from last year's season openers blowout i think a lot of people would agree that we probably maybe could have had a chance against ucla and much like a lot of losses from last year's season it was a lot of frustration a lot of anger but like you said like your song choice i ain't worried I think that's something that a lot of fans are, you know, that some fans are going to have to learn. But I believe that a lot of fans already do, you know, subscribe to that notion of, you know, hey, it's got to chill out. So I'm going to answer your question. But before I answer your question, to give you my answer, I, I have a request. After I do this, can I tell a story? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Because I, I, I want to see if I can get you guys laughing. So my answer to your question on a song is – and Reese knows this, but I, I hinted at it earlier. I'm a huge hip-hop guy. Right. Huge hip-hop guy. The song that came to my mind is DMX's Rough Rider Anthem. <laughs> where he's calling the entire crew to come in. Like, we're going to take over now. Like, we're going to do this together. That's how I feel about this week. Is everybody comes together. We're going to take care of business. This is, this is the week where we're going to make some stuff happen. And that's how the Rough Rider Anthem is. Is... You get your crew together, you go make some noise, you make things happen. That's how I feel about it. That's awesome. Yeah. As <laughs> much that was very well in depth. I think I'm gonna listen out. to that yeah. on my way home today. Yeah. As you should. <laughs> and if you do, turn up the bass and let it rock, man. Let it go. I go for your story. Well, if it's tonight, I mean, oh. you should play it inside the arena. <laughs> I, I agree with you. All right. So here's my story. So I talked about earlier about I before I came here, I was a Hawaii fan. And I was I went to WKU, so I have watched every game of WKU in Hawaii for the last 15 years. And up until four years ago, majority of my adult life and my childhood was in Kentucky. So there are there's a lot of similarities between WKU. At this point in time, I'm going to go with the reference on my story and what Hawaii is going through right now. So back in 2011. I was working for IMG and I was living in North Carolina. And I remember in that year that Kentucky was on the road playing Western Kentucky in Nashville. And SEC against a, at the time, Sunbelt school absolutely should thrash them. And I remember going in that game going, WKU's not that bad. This is Willie Taggart's second year. And I'm curious to see what they do. And WKU only lost that game 14-3 to on a neutral site in Nashville. And I remember coming out of that going, all right, I feel, I feel pretty good about where WKU is going. And I was, I was falling in love with what Willie Tagger was doing because two years before that, WKU went 0-12. When I was in school, they were making the transition from what at the time was Division I AA, which is now FCS, into Division One FBS. So they went through a really tough stretch. And when they fired their coach and brought in Willie Tiger, the entire WKU fan base was excited, was excited about what Willie could do because Willie had won a Division One AA title at WKU as a quarterback. So everybody was excited about what he could do. Starting to see similarities here. Willie Taggart, Timmy Chang. I see them both on the same kind of playing field here. In the, sec- in the third year under Willie Taggart, 
they went into at the time Commonwealth Stadium, which is now Kroger Field in Lexington, Kentucky, in a, in a very hostile environment. I was working at ESPN Radio at the time, and I went to the game as a fan. Myself and my roommate from my WKU days, we, he was from Lexington. We both went to the game, and we were so hyped for this game. We were like, okay, WKU, third year under under Willie. We'll see how this goes. They're coming off a pretty bad loss to Alabama, but let's see how this goes. We went to that game, and I remember sitting there thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to say a whole lot. I'm wearing my WKU stuff. I'm not going to say anything, though, until somebody says something to me. And this woman sitting in front of us, let's just for the sake of the story, let's call her Karen. What could that possibly mean? I know. There's no correlation with that name. It's like, what, what is this leading to? Let's just call her Karen. She turns around to me, and I'm sure those that are listening to this podcast right now, I'm sure I have somewhat of a southern twang to my tone of voice, which I've tried to get rid of, but it will never really go away. Kind of like Timmy right now. Yeah. So... This Karen turns around, even though I try to hide my southern twang, she obviously does not. She turns around and goes, oh, you from western Kentucky? Well, I'm sorry what's going to happen to you today. I was, <laughs> I was like, all right, we'll see. Oh, yeah, we'll see, all right. These cats, but they, this is the team this year. <laughs> okay, got you. I remember looking at my buddy Beckham, who was with me. I remember looking at him going, God, I hope they win now. I really <laughs> hope they win. And he was like, oh, let's see what happens. The game is close. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have your favorite all-time Hawaii football player. Mine's Colt, obviously. I don't know what your guys is. We want to share real quick what yours is? Mine's is Diosomy St. Juice. Okay, good one. I got to think about it. I don't really like have a f- favorite. Okay. I have no reason. Just no reason. I understand that. I, I understand. There was, I, whenever I – because this is before I really got into college football. Mm-hmm. And so when I was watching Hawaii, I was like, ah, oh, we're getting schlacked. Mm-hmm. Who's this small guy? <laughs> it's the same reason why, like, one of my favorite NFL players of all time is Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I just – there's something about small running backs that have, like, a little bit of oomph to them. I'm going to give you that. one. I'm going to give you one. I want you to look this up. He was he is my all time favorite WKU football player. His name is Bobby Rainey. He after he played the Buccaneers. Bobby Rainey. Bobby Rainey. Whoa! I'm a Bucks fan. Okay. I know about Bobby Rainey. Yeah. Bobby <laughs> Rainey was with the Bucks. Bobby Rainey was with the Ravens, and I believe at the end of his career, I think he was with the Giants. I absolutely love Bobby Rainey. I love Bobby Rainey. If that dude wants a kidney, I'm first in line. <laughs> I. Do the bye, Randy. Stop. Post for the fans. I love that guy. He was the starting running back. He was a senior on that team in 2012. And Bobby had a great game. The quarterback of that team was Kwan Jakes. I know no one knows who Kwan Jakes is, <laughs> but it's okay. Kwan Jakes is basically like a six foot five, very like like lengthy quarterback who had a pretty good throwing motion. He wasn't exactly the most accurate, but he could throw the deep ball which is a hell of an improvement from years before that. So those guys hold a very special place in my heart. And this game goes, and I, and I said at the very beginning, if this game remains close, it's WKU's to win. And that's what happened. The game is close, and it goes into overtime. Karen and everybody around her is sweating. 
And I am absolutely loving every <laughs> single second of this. And like, cause no matter what, win or lose, I'm like, you know what? That was a really good showing. And if they win, <laughs> game goes into overtime. Kentucky goes out there and score, kicks the extra point. They're up 31-24. WKU comes down there. If my memory serves me right, uh, Bobby Rainey scored the touchdown to bring it to bring it within one. Willie Taggart said, we're on an opposing team's field as an SEC school. We're going for the win right here, right now. So, he goes for a two-point conversion. This is where things get really fun. <laughs> K1 Jakes, out of shotgun, throws a lateral to the right side. No one is paying attention to K1 Jakes. K1 Jakes runs a wheel route out of the quarterback position. They throw it from one sideline to the other sideline. K1 Jakes, two-point conversion. WKU wins 32-31. I lose my damn mind. <laughs> and when I say I lose my damn mind, I am not exaggerating. I went berserk. And I am, like, yelling and they threw it back to K1. They threw it back to K1. <laughs> I'm going crazy. And, you know, and, and like UK fans can't say anything because WKU is basically a little brother. So they're like, they're, they're upset, but like they're not upset where they're going to fight anybody. Right. Cause it's the right. same state. Like it's not Louisville, it's a little brother. <laughs> so like I knew like they, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm just going to enjoy the moment. <laughs> so after the game, like I'm, we, there were WKU fans. There were quite a few of them there. And my buddy and I, we went out and we had a hell of a night. <laughs> we celebrated that win like we just won a national championship. <laughs> and we're, we are going through downtown Lexington. We are going from bar to bar. We're singing the fight song with people. Everybody's buying drinks. I mean, and I, I'm not going to you know go into great detail, but I mean, I, we're, you know, I'm making out with random people girls like i'm so excited like if like if i get that look i'm coming straight to you and we're having ourselves a good time i mean we're i am enjoying the night and we enjoy ourselves and we end up going to my buddy's house who was a uk fan who's still in school at uk and he's like you can stay but you're not sleeping inside this house <laughs> so i slept on his porch in like a swinging and a swing i just slept in that and my buddy ended up like crashing somewhere else. And I wake up the next morning and the very first thing I said, and I yelled it like in the middle of the suburb in like the heart of Lexington, right on campus. I just yelled, he threw it back to K1. <laughs> and I went and I went and got the paper. I still have the front page of the Herald leader sports section where it's a big picture of K1 running it in on the two point conversion and says, is this the bottom referring to Kentucky football? <laughs> I will never forget that game. I will never forget that night. It's just one of my favorite memories I've ever had being a college football fan. And I tell that story not to like glorify WKU in any way. I give that story because WKU hired a former player that people loved and it took time, but they got there. They were making some noise, and that year, if my memory serves me right, was the first year that WKU was bowl eligible ever as a Division One FBS team. I feel like what Willie was trying to do at WKU 
is close to what Timmy's trying to do here. And that gives me hope that we're going to have those moments because the following year I went to go watch WKU play Marshall in a six overtime crazy game, something I've never seen in my life. I went and saw that game. I'm not going into detail about that one, but that was the year they ended up winning Conference USA, I believe. And so, like, I'm seeing some similarities. And that's why when we were talking at the very beginning of the, of the podcast, I'm not worried. I've seen this before. It's a, I mean, it is what it is. It, growth takes time. Football's a tough game to play. It's a tough game to coach. It's a tough game to scheme for. If you give things opportunity to grow organically and you trust it, it'll get there when you have the right people. Right now, we have the right people. Just give it a little bit. It's going to work itself out. I've seen it happen before. And the one I saw it happen is the team we're playing this week 10 years ago. There's your story. Well, I think I can confidently say we're never going to live this one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, congratulations on being on, you know, the best of all the other of all the podcasts yeah. that we've had so far. Oh, great. And that'll probably be number 1 for a very long time. So, yes. you know, glad that we could have you. Glad you gave us such amazing insight and amazing stories. Yes. That was awesome. From Reese, from me, Tanner. Thank you very much for listening and we got a stable schedule as of now. So hopefully we'll be seeing you next week at the hopefully exact same day. So thank you very much for listening and have a great day.